This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to an Echo podcast special with me, Joe River, going out on both our Royal Blue and Blood Red channels. I'm joined today by Max Rushton, Barry Glendenig, and Jonathan Wilson from the Guardian Football Weekly podcast. It's one of the UK's most popular podcasts, and they're bringing out a book, the Guardian Football Weekly book. They're here to talk about that, their podcast, Everton and Liverpool and War. The book is available now for £12.99. You can buy it from any of your local bookstores, or you can go on the Guardian Bookshop website and save 20% there. Let's get on with the pod. Um, hello, Max Rushton. Hello, Joe. Thanks for um, having us. Well, thanks for coming on. Hello, Barry Glendelly. Hello, Joe. And Jonathan Wilson, hello. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Thanks, Jones, for coming on. Um, yeah, so uh, we're here to talk about your book. Well, first, I think, set the scene for listeners by talking a little bit about podcasts in general. Um, obviously, the most popular football podcast. Um, there's a little bit in the book about how you came to appear on it, Max, um, mm. but couldn't really work out what's real and what's false. So can, <laughs> can we go back and, and sort of talk about how all you first came to, to, to get to come on the podcast and, and, um, and yeah, and then we'll talk about how it became so popular. I mean, if you want to start chronologically, you've probably got to start with Barry, who I think has been doing it since 1981. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, podcasts weren't invented until three years ago, but you've been doing this for forever, yeah. Baz, haven't you? Yeah, I've been doing this for a very long time. Um, I think it was... Uh, 13 years before Jake Humphrey actually invented the podcast, we started doing Football Weekly. Uh, and it was basically in a, a soundproofed cupboard in uh, the old Observer building. Uh, almost literally a wooden box with bits of foam sellotaped to the wall. Um, and we did this podcast. It started going really well. I think the Football Ramble podcast, who... who people may know where they were kind of going at the same time and uh james richardson was our host um and you know record scratch to 2000 and what year was it max you you came in as full-time uh, presenter 20, maybe 2017 i think i'm not sure yeah i think it was 2017 uh just coming up to the start of the new season um james richardson uh dropped the bombshell that he was uh, leaving, and he and some other rebels were going to set up yeah. a rogue podcast of their own. Um, mm -hmm. So it, we were left very high and dry just a day or two before that yeah. season started. Desperate, I think. You were left desperate. Yeah. Let's yes, <laughs> desperate. Uh, because we, we didn't have a presenter, so um, I got on the phone to Max, who was holidaying with the current Mrs. Rushton, uh, on the shores of Lake Como, I believe. Mm. Yeah, well, you said to me, if you don't get this job, you really are shit. Um, because <laughs> yeah. I, I'd, I used to cover for Jimbo when he was off, um, much to the annoyance of a lot of the listeners, I think, because I think the Football Weekly audience thought, who's this inverted commas banter merchant oh, from right. Soccer AM who is arriving to ruin this podcast? Um <laughs> But obviously they didn't have any, anywhere else to go. And then I'd got Barry on the radio on on the Sunday show that we do. And so, yeah, and the exciting thing for me at that time was, I can't remember which bookie it was, maybe it was William Hill had put the odds up for the next presenter. You know, it's, you know, next manager, who's it going to be? And you think, and, and to see your own name in that was really exciting. Well, well and I was just, the, at the time. 
I was uh, I was seven to four, but I'd already got the job. But I was like, I don't want to go to prison, so I, I don't want to put a thousand pounds on this. And I really did want to, but I I didn't dare do it. I didn't. I don't think I told anybody to put any money on it. Um, and that was a long time ago. It was 2017. I think Wilson, you were on the first pod we ever did, and we made lots. I was of- on the first two, yeah, because yeah. They, they were panicking. Um, mm. So a load of the regular guests had had gone. And so, yeah, shadowy Uber producer Jason uh, rang me. And I remember I was on the top deck of a bus and he said, do you want to do the podcast today and next week? And I was like, hang on, something's gone wrong here. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm never on two in a row. So something terrible has happened. Uh, so I, th- I think I was first on, it was, that must have been either tail end of 2007 or beginning of 2008, but I was very irregular. And then, yeah, I've become more recent over the last six years. Mm. <laughs> and it, astonishingly, despite being on it for the last six years, have not decimated the audience entirely and uh you know appears to be vaguely popular uh to which i am very thankful was there a moment when any of you realized the, just how popular the podcast was um, well i think for me i mean like, i i clearly this is far less to do with me than the other two but i remember the, the, the most shocking aspect of that i was uh, in buenos aires waiting to cross the road chatting to a mate and the lad walks up behind me and goes are you Jonathan Wilson? I was like, yes. He went, oh, I recognise your voice off the podcast. <laughs> and that was when it was like, this is, this is very, very weird. Um, and there's been, you know, I mean, you, Barry and Max must get this way, way more than me, but the fact that people recognise your voice is a very odd thing. Mm. I'd say yeah. it's sort of un- unedifying to like, talk. it feels like a sort of difficult to answer this question without sounding like a twat. Um, but like occasionally you will walk past someone either here in Melbourne or back in London who is, actually listening to the pod when they see you and you sort of have to apologize because that's that is overkill isn't it that is too much of you at any given point um so i you know that that's a time when you think okay this is you know clearly for some reason people are listening to this and and uh i think those times you notice okay maybe this is this seems to be going quite well i would say yeah i'd agree i've i've been I probably get recognised two or three times a week, whether it's my voice or my ruggedly handsome appearance or whatever. Uh, and it is very odd, but uh, it's also quite nice. And like Max, I, I was once on a tube uh, in London going home from work or whatever, and, and a young lad was standing listening to something on his headphones and he sort of tapped me on, his sho- on the shoulder and said, I'm actually listening to you right now. And, and I, there's no real, I don't know what you're supposed to say to that without sounding very weird or narcissistic. But um, yeah, and then when, when we first started doing live shows uh, and they sold out very quickly and then you would, you would go to these live shows and, and people seem to be having a really great time and, I mean, the first few were quite small. I think the very first one we did was actually in a pub in Liverpool called The Fly and the Loaf. Is that oh, right? Oh, it's a small loaf, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was, there was a Merseyside derby on, and I was unable to get to the game. So our other guest, uh, I think Andy Hunter, the Guardian's Merseyside correspondent, was definitely one of our panellists. Um he was at the game, whoever else was appearing on the panel was at the game, but because I couldn't get to the game, I was watching it in the fly in the loaf, which uh, you may be aware, Joe, sells 
a selection of incredibly strong and exotic laggers. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously I had a couple to pass the time. And by the time the podcast got started, I was probably in a state of inebriation, which uh, could have ended our live podcast career before it really got going. But it took us a while to work out how to do live shows and uh, but now now we sort of do tours and stuff and they generally seem to be quite well received. We yeah. always try to put a little extra something into live events that uh, you don't get on the, the ordinary podcast. Mm. And Barry yeah. is slightly underselling him, him himself in Dublin on a live show. He's, he's basically like the Pied Piper. I mean, it's, it's, sort so- of, it's, it's sort of totally ridiculous. It's ludicrous. This is not a man anybody should be following for any any reason whatsoever. <laughs> and yet he says, we're going to O'Mulligan's or wherever we're going. And then it's just a stream yeah. of people just following yes. him. And then some poor barman who's just having a quiet Monday night and everybody orders Guinness. And they're just there surrounding Barry like he's like the sort of hero of their lives. Lord knows what those people, what will happen to those people. <laughs> how the different sets of fans, uh, sticking with you, Max, how does a different set of fans take the podcast? What, what sort of feedback do you get? Who fumes the most? Oh. Any evening order? Nonsense, that sort oh, of thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a lot of that. Yeah. And, you know, we, I think like anybody who's covering anything, we still get a lot of, you know, why do you never talk about my club? And it's, it's yeah. social media is so funny, isn't it? Because you're, you are just generally minding your own business. And obviously now the time now in Australia the time difference is weird. So occasionally it's clearly it's like it's sort of I don't know maybe eleven in the morning and I haven't done a pod for like two days and then you'll just get a t- tweet saying you're you ignoring Aston Villa is as typical as it is useless. You're like I'm not, I, I just wasn't I'm, I'm not in that zone at this point. I I don't think I'm I don't know if either you would you know would would think differently. I don't think there's a set of fans actually no. There is. (laughs) (laughs) Since the takeover of Newcastle United, we have obviously spoken a lot about Saudi Arabia and human rights. And I mean, I wasn't doing the pod when the Man City takeover happened, but uh, I certainly in my professional, I mean, I was doing soccer and I was generally dressed as a penguin. But I think like all of us, we weren't really focused on those issues half as much on sports washing and there definitely is a, a, a there is a set of Newcastle fans who have really sort of taken against us because we've been very critical of that hopefully we're fair right about what they do on the pitch and it's a real hard balance between like we didn't talk about Saudi Arabia on this pod that we've just recorded this morning but I'm constantly wrestling with that balance of you know are we fair on those sort of subjects and I think we probably weren't we've probably been harsher on Newcastle on that takeover than we were on Man City because it had happened, I guess, by the time I took over the pod. I think probably we still have Newcastle United fans who support us and like us and also find the takeover very troubling. But generally, in sort of footballing terms, I think we annoy a set of fans from every club because it's impossible not to. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, Paul, is there any particularly remarkable episodes that any of you can talk about? Any any moments at live shows? <laughs> Is it that good? The pod. <laughs> can we uh, can, can we talk like... about the the last incident in Dublin? Is that is that fair? Wow. What, what was that? 
With the poppers. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that makes it sound a lot worse. Lars had not taken poppers. I think that's, that's, I think that's important to say. Um, I mean, I think my favourite moment might have been the live stream when Barry told his Munich anecdote. Well, I've where, got that down from yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah, you've got it written down. I, I can't hear it again. But I, I mean, there are little... What, what happens, I think, with the pod, I, I don't know if you find this, is that I think people come for the football <laughs> and you've got to do that well, but then they stay for the people. Yeah. Not not necessarily, you know, me or, you know, but finding out that Barry keeps this loaded super soaker by his bed to spray <laughs> at people leaving the Brixton Academy when they're being too loud late at night or finding out that Mark Langdon has never eaten a vegetable. You know, when he just sort of says, you know, or like, I can't remember what it was during COVID. He says, Do you know what I've really discovered in COVID? Butter. And he just says, <laughs> these things are just ridiculous, you know. And, and so those things stay, like the people, the more you learn about the people, but also there are moments in the pod there was Wilson Barry and Barney Ronnie were on discussing the witch's curse at Tottenham, which became this endless thing. It's still going. So, and, and I am arguably guilty occasionally of hammering a joke for too long. I mean, I don't do, think, do you think? Any... <laughs> And so if there is a little running joke, I will push it and push it and push it. And hopefully they sort of disappear at the right time. And another running joke comes in and, and that kind of thing. But um, I like to think all the episodes are good, but, I can't think of one that, that sticks out right now. Yeah, I mean, I think possibly the thing that hit home the most that there was a football related, but um, someone on Twitter once posted a video of this raver in Middlesbrough wearing hot pants and a striped sleeveless <laughs> yeah. T-shirt, um, slapping a stool while dancing in a pub. And it was quite obviously like on a, Sat a weekday or a Saturday afternoon because there was racing on the television. There was a a blonde girl dancing with him, and someone pointed out this guy's uncanny resemblance to Max. And we, for our last tour, I think it was we set about recreating that video, and we did it in my local pub, it was a pub around the corner from my house. I was able to borrow it for a morning, and we really tried to get every tiny little detail right. Uh, I played the role of the blonde girl. Max was as the stool slapping guy himself. We got racing on a loop on the television in the background. I, I was the old bloke on the phone underneath the racing. Yes. Like, annoyingly, I used the wrong hand. We put a lot of work into getting that, like absolutely nailing every little detail of that. And when after the live tour was over, it went down quite well in the live tour, Max posted it on Twitter and Twitter kind of went into absolute meltdown. And I think at one stage it had well over a million views, although I, I suspect about 100,000 of those were just me repeatedly <laughs> watching it. Um, so, yeah, it's funny things. Um, yeah. Or it's funny the things that can capture people's imagination. Mm. I would say that, um, for a vaguely serious answer, the, the pod that we did the the, the day that Christian Eriksen sort of died on the pitch and then fortunately was brought back to life was an incredibly emotional one. I mean, Barry had done it minute by minute for The Guardian. And, and I think just because so many people had seen it and had seen those scenes, and I think we had Lars and Philippe Eau Claire on. And I, 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 maybe it's not for me to say, but I feel like we, we sort of captured that moment pretty well and i think what listeners appreciate about the pod is that we do 
you know, talk about utter nonsense and me and hot pants, you know, slapping stools. But when something serious happens, we can cover that. And also that we do spend the time, you know, going in depth on serious situations. So like the Rubiales situation, you know, we can get a great panel with Susie Rack and Robin Cowan and Solani, Andy Hickman and do that properly. If we want to talk about racism in the game, we can do that. And we don't necessarily wait for there to be a reason to talk about those things. If we want to talk about something, we can do a special on it. Mm. And like the beauty of having the Guardian behind us is, you know, they have lawyers that can say, don't ask that, do ask that. Or, you know, and I'm praying that everything's fine because I don't want to get called in the middle of the night to, 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 to revoice something. And so, you know, before Qatar, we could obviously do the football, but we could really do justice to yeah. the migrant workers or women's rights um, and or gay rights. And those things, I think we're in a really fortunate position where we can do those well, as well as the bread and butter, which is talking about, you know, how bad Everton are or <laughs> whether, Liverpool, whether Liverpool can mount a title challenge this year. Yeah. Well, I thought your discussion on, on Jordan Anderson and the interview with the Athletic was, was really good um, last week um, and, and hit every sort of note. Uh, Jonathan, um, when did the idea for the book come about and, and whose idea was it? Certainly wasn't mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I, I mean, I think yeah, Barry was asked first. So Barry maybe has a better idea as to whose idea it was, but I think it was somebody in marketing thought, yeah, we can yeah, generate some cash here. <laughs> and they asked Barry to do it. Barry quite rightly said no. And... Uh, then several weeks later, they finally came to me and I stupidly said yes. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, but Barry probably has a better answer than I do for that. But basically, uh, the publishers favour have a relationship with The Guardian and I think someone there thought uh, Football Weekly should put out a book and I was invited to a meeting. I think Max was invited as well, but he just didn't turn up. But um, I was invited to a meeting, so I had a few ideas and the main one was I thought... Uh, doing a book in the style of a like a Roy the Rovers annual or a Viz annual yeah. or shoot annual, whatever, would be A, quite funny and B, quite easy. And I think on the back of that meeting, it was presumed I would be editing it, but I'm hopelessly disorganised and not very good at asking people to do things yeah. uh, uh, well, at least when it comes to work, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm a. I'm a follower. I'm not a leader, so I would be not much of a follower to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're a constant so, presence. That's what you yeah, are. That yeah. you're there. So, so I I knew that if I was given the job of editing it, it would be an absolute disaster. So I suggested that uh, they ask Jonathan to do it, and that is what happened. So and he did a pretty good job. He's very good at sending passive aggressive WhatsApp messages <laughs> and emails. You know, well, better than you are answering them, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very fun book. The first thing that jumped out on me, though, just when I first I flicked through it, was um, vasectomies. What is it about Guardian Football Weekly? And um, is is it something NHS doctors do they prescribe? <laughs> I mean, it probably says something about our demographic, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, a lot of people are at the position in their life. They like Football Weekly, but they also don't want any more children. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, that is a classic example of something that is a running joke that someone sent us a message saying, I was listening when I had a vasectomy. And then obviously, like, that's not the only person who's listening when they're having a vasectomy. And it is this idea, I guess, of a pod podcast. It's like, 
you know, you it's not like a radio show or a TV show. You, you know, you choose exactly when you want to listen to it. And so it's just quite funny that someone would choose this really sort of quite a pivotal moment in their life to be <laughs> listening to us. And, you know, there is that bit in the, you know, the, the bit of the book is vasectomies and car crashes because someone sent us this amazing email about they were driving along. I can't remember what happened. The car flipped. It was a total write-off. They were fine. And yet right. Football Weekly was still playing out of this sort of like sprawling, smoking mess of a car. And so then as soon as you read out a story like that, you get another one and another one, and then it's just one of those things that rolls on. So now every time a listener's having a vasectomy, we just, you know, we give them a little shout out. And, <laughs> you know, now I have a, a toddler and I'm, you know, considering having another one. If I do, I will be having a vasectomy that day as well. I'll book in on the day of its birth. Yeah, well, I, I guess the dream is for somebody to be vasectomized during a car crash, <laughs> yeah. by the car crash. <laughs> yeah, I mean, while you're here, do you mind yeah. tying this up? <laughs> But, well, well, I've got two, so I, I hope you can maybe give me a shout out when um, when I have mine. Oh, please, so, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jonathan, you were you were the man who told Gerald through day that um, Michael Jackson had died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I mean, that's basically the story. Um, yeah, I was in uh, the Michelangelo Hotel in Santon during uh, when was it? Was it during the Confederations Cup in two thousand and nine? And I was with Tarek Panji, who's now at New York Times, he's at Bloomberg at the time. Uh, Duncan White, who I think he's now a professor of literature at Harvard, but he was working for Sunday Times or Sunday Telegraph at the time. And um, yeah, it popped up on Tarek's screen. I, I, and Joe Lilly was with some Japanese journalists at the next table. And I don't know why my first reaction on finding out that Michael Jackson was dead was to go, Gerard. And like, I'd spoken to him like twice in my life. It wasn't like I knew him. Michael Jackson's dead. And he was a, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that was it. And then... Uh, a couple of minutes later, I was I was going to the toilet, and Christian Carambo was coming back from the toilet, and uh, Christian Michael Jackson's dead, and he was like, <laughs> and then but then the really odd thing was it was a couple of years later I was in the Signet Library in in Edinburgh, in the, the Law Library there, um, doing a, a live event, and I told that story, <laughs> and this bloke in the in the you know, near the front starts sort of jumping up and down, waving his hand in the air, so so I said, sir, you obviously have something to say, and he says, I'm I'm an Italian sports lawyer. And I was sitting with Christian Cambo that night. And Christian Cambo came back from the toilet and told me Michael Jackson was dead. <laughs> and I was like, how on earth does he know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how news travels. Great. And, um, and Barry, we have to talk about the Munich anecdote, um, which, yeah, um, seems to be quite infamous. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm 50 years old and 33 years ago, um, I was in Munich. I had a throat infection. Uh, I was on antibiotics, and then I mixed it with uh, a lot of strong Bavarian lager. And in a nutshell, well, not in a nutshell, on, on a Munich underground carriage, uh, I think it's a U-Bahn they're called, I had uh, a horrific intestinal incident... <laughs> <laughs> which I, look I don't want to put your listeners off off whatever you they might be doing yeah <laughs> I do have to sell the book um, would look, anybody there, buy there a book because they know that Barry story... shat himself on a train <laughs> there, was, there was a story a couple of weeks ago about how, how a plane travelling somewhere in America had to be diverted back yeah. to its original destination Basically, because someone had had an appalling, such an appalling incident of uh, diarrhea that 
it, it became a biohazard. <laughs> and basically, the same thing happened to me on a Munich train during morning rush hour. I'd, I'd been on an all-nighter. Anyway, it's a story I told during a, a live event during the pandemic. Um, we were doing a live event on Zoom. And it seems to have gone down really well with everyone, <laughs> apart from my mother, who was mortified that her son is out there telling this story. And she had asked me, like, okay, you've, you've told the story, can you just leave it alone now? So here I am telling it again, <laughs> and it's been recorded for posterity in a book, which I really hope she isn't aware of. The existence of which I really hope she isn't aware of. It's important um, to say that. It's important to say that one, when Barry told that anecdote, it was actually right at the start. I think of our first, it might have been, I don't know if it was our first COVID show, but you know, a bit like, come on, I mean, it's sort of, this is a bit weird. We're sort of learning how Zoom works. And there was an amazing picture where I think me, Wilson, and Lars have just got our head in our hands on the live stream. Like, how is this? Like, where is this story came from? And then, and then, um, I mean, I, I didn't just tell it apropos nothing. <laughs> no, no, there was a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, there was a question. It was the answer to a legitimate question yeah, posed then, by somebody. But, but then um, we were having like mugs designed, right? David Squires designed brilliant cartoonists. His cartoon in the book yeah. is so good. And he's a lovely bloke as well. And he obviously designed my mug was the guy slapping the stool, as in me slapping the stool. Um, and then Barry's holding a big shoe because in the act, he just, you know, the, the, <laughs> the torrents of shit run down into his shoe. And then Barry's like, why am I holding a shoe? He asked someone. And then like one of the bosses said, oh, it's the Munich instant. And then Barry did say, I'm not sure I want, I don't know if you said I don't want my brand to be that. <laughs> you know, it was something. It was equally like I don't want to. Do I really want to be remembered and known for? Is that it? Is that it? And the real truth is, yes, basically. So that, then there's that, that time we had lunch in Dublin uh, with Barry's mother and aunt, and his aunt rather brilliantly went, "Ah, uh, we all of us have our Munichs," <laughs> which, which I guess we do in our own ways. Mm. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, um, we'll leave it there. We'll move on to talk a little bit, if it's all right, about Everton and then Liverpool. Uh, we'll start with the, the senior club in the city, uh, Everton. Um, Jonathan, you wrote a piece about Everton a few weeks ago. Um, has anything you've seen since then changed your mind on Everton? Do you fear for them this season, do you think? Yeah, I really do fear for them. Um I mean, I, I got quite a lot of grief for that piece, uh, which it was partly, I mean, this is the coward's way out is to blame the headline, which I don't write, but yeah. the headline is slightly kind of worse than, than, than the, 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 the piece itself. What I was, the point I was making was, yes, there's been horrendous mismanagement under Mashiri, but actually it's been an ongoing process since the Premier League began. The fact that Everton won of the big five and since then they've won one FA Cup and are regularly involved in relegation battles and, and even the sort of a, the decent period under, under David Moyes there was a sense of yeah, punching above their weight. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the level was not sort of a top six, top seven club. It was your know, seventh was a real achievement. Um, so th this is sort of an, an ongoing decline. Um, and then it just it sort of feels that everything that could go wrong does go wrong. I, I guess Beto looks looks decent and he you know adds a bit of heft up front. But the fact that Calvert Lewin's been out for so long, he comes back and immediately gets the, the horrific cheek injury at at, at Villa. Um, and yeah, the, the idea that Daesh now has 
Um, in fact, does he even have a worse record than Mike Walker now? I, th- I think he was second worst behind Mike Walker uh, yeah. when I wrote the piece. But the fact it's worse than Lampard just seems incredible. So the thing that might save him is, I think, the, certainly compared to last season, I think there's some pretty bad teams at the bottom of the Premier League. But it's it's clearly going to be a massive struggle. Yeah, Max, there's a lot of anger in our city about what's happened to Everton. They are sort of the Premier League's crisis club now, aren't they? Mm. I mean, that the, the difficult thing, I guess, is, and I'm sort of thinking of thinking of the audience here, right? When when we're doing the pod, obviously it's not fifty percent or more, or you know, around that listeners who are Everton fans. So we sort of deal with, I guess, when we're talking about so many football clubs, it's hard to do them all in depth. Clearly, there are some real issues. If Everton go down, like they are not set up for that in a way that probably most of the clubs down at the bottom are sort of set up. It wouldn't be a total disaster if Luton went down, for example, and it really would be. So Everton become this kind of comedy club from where we are. You know, it's just, can this happen? It's sort of, what's the point? You know, what are we what are we all doing here? The chorus of booze. And then you start saying, you know, I, you sort of find the things nice, like Carlo Ancelotti and Duncan Ferguson becoming this weird duo, like... They'd be the best crime fighting detectives, either set in Naples or in Glasgow. I can't work out which. <laughs> but, but like in serious terms, like it just must be so draining, right? Like, what do you want? You want a bit of hope, and there is none. And it just feels like they've been. I can't think of when there was. Right, there was the. All I can think is staying up under Mike Walker and just how you know Barry Horn smashing it in, and then. Getting to the Champions League with David Moyes, but then we're knocked out, what, straight away? So they didn't yeah. even have that. Didn't even have that. And it's just, yeah, it is. If you're an Everton fan, it is absolutely bleak, I think. And that there's no fun, is there? Where's the fun? Like, you I guess shit. it's. Per- yeah, carry on. I guess it's particularly bleak if the, the other lot across the city are doing well, you know, and winning titles, winning Champions Leagues. But it looks like the Machiri uh, era is over. I mean, he spent a hell of a lot of money, got almost no bang whatsoever for his book. Um, you look at the squad. So we're recording this interview shortly after the <laughs> they were beaten by Arsenal at Goodison. Arsenal only won 1-0, but it was incredibly comfortable Arsenal win. Everton offered very little, if anything at all. And they've been swirling around the plug hole for so long. It's And they're you know, moving to this new stadium. There's these potential new owners who come in, coming in who have all sorts of question marks over them. Will Could they be so bad that they might even possibly fail the fit and proper owners test? It, it seems possible. So there's, there's no, doesn't seem to be anything positive about supporting Everton at the moment. I also think, for what it's worth, and Everton fans may disagree. I think selling Alex Iwobi to Fulham was a big, big mistake. I think he will be a huge loss to Everton in their struggle to stay up. And when you're saying that, that Alex Iwobi could be the deciding factor, that that's kind of a measure of what sort of state they're in. Yeah, no, certainly I don't think they, they really had much choice. Um, moving on from Everton, then Liverpool, um, sort of the opposite, really. Uh, what, have you, what have you made them so far this season? Jonathan is... Do you think that they are getting back to their their best on under clock? Uh, yeah, not not quite, but they, I mean they're clearly a lot closer than they were last season. I still don't entirely trust them. I mean, it's is it nine of the thirteen points they've taken the season have, have come from positions of being behind. Um, um, I only know because Barry said it on the podcast earlier, so I'm actually <laughs> nicking one of his stats for once. Um, but 
I, th- I think the, the forward line is is beginning to gel. They obviously needed new investment in midfield, and, and that's that's starting to settle down. I, I still think there's some defensive issues to, to be resolved, but yeah. it may be that there's a midfield settle so the defence gets sorted out as well. So, yeah, at, at half time on Saturday, I was sort of thinking, uh, yeah, I was right to doubt them. But then they were so good second half that you think, actually it was, it was always fine. And you sort of look back at that, that win at Newcastle and that was a game where it could easily have gone very badly wrong. We could have lost that 3 or 4 nil, And the fact that down to 10 men, 1-0 down, that they, 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 they settled down, they dug in and then got the two late goals. That really could be a springboard. And, and things can turn on, on, you know, on individual games like that. So, I, I mean, can anybody chase City? I'm not sure, but I think I'd probably, probably say at the minute Liverpool look aside most likely to do so. I think there's one player that, that has almost gone under the radar for so long and is never mentioned uh, in any of Liverpool's games, and that's Trent Alexander-Arnold. I feel like... <laughs> 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 it's a wonder, like, it's, it's pretty funny. Like You go through whole seasons, you think there's probably players playing in the Premier League of 10 years and not, don't get mentioned once. And it's like everything is Trent Alexander, you know, is... You know, can he do this in midfield? Is there a hole behind him in defence? Just a sort of disproportionate amount of conversation about what is it, who is a great player, you know, and I, I love watching him play. You guys must, I mean, it must be relentless for you. I don't know, maybe, maybe you just have dedicate two days of the Liverpool Echo to Trent Alexander-Arnold and you can move on for the other five. Um, but I, I've, I've been surprised at how well they've done, actually, and, to, and wondered if Klopp was going to, you know, Say, you know what? I don't want to rebuild this again. Shabbos is great. Um, yeah. I love Darwin Nunes. I mean, he's chaos, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's yeah. a lot of fun. It'd be fascinating to see what happens. Has the Saudi window closed yet? Or they decide yeah, and they just keep it, it open? Has, yes. Oh, it has, has it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're keeping salaries big. Yeah, that's yeah. A, there's, some, there's some insight for you, Liverpool fans. Larry, <laughs> 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 right, do you think they've got some of the character that sort of defined uh, a couple of years back on the clock? But... Um. I'm not sure. Did that character go away? I don't know. I did. I did notice uh, we got we got grumpy Jurgen in in the build up to the most <laughs> recent round of league fixtures, and he he got the hump with um, I think the the <laughs> Athletics Liverpool correspondent. And my understanding is that he doesn't particularly like that guy. I've no idea what their history is, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's too early to say, but um, I, oh God, I'm really struggling to answer this question. <laughs> Sometimes during during a football weekly, Barry would just say, "I'm not answering that question. Go to someone else." But I think he's being polite because it's not football weekly. <laughs> no, I, I just wasn't aware that they they'd lost their character. I mean, they had a bad season um, last season, but. Football being cyclical, that was always going to be on the cards. I too thought Jurgen Klopp might leave. Um, I thought he might be t- tempted by the prospect of the, the Germany manager's job when that became available quite recently. But uh, he seems to be quite happy at Liverpool. He's doing his rebuild. Um, I, Despite what I said in our pre-season pod on the evidence of what I've seen so far from Manchester City this season, I don't think anyone will catch them but apart from Brighton Liverpool are the most impressive team I've seen this season Brilliant alright thanks very much gents uh, best of luck with the book um, thank you 
Thanks for your time, guys. Remember, you can buy the new Guardian Football Weekly book now at any local bookstore. It's twelve ninety nine, or you can save twenty percent by going on the Guardian Bookstore website. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.